And so this king of the people of Ammon died, and his son Hanun reigned in his place. And then David said, I will show kindness to Hanun, the son of Nahash, as his father showed kindness to me. Welcome, everyone. You're listening to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with Senior Pastor Rob Kellogg. As we start chapter 10, we learn that David sends ambassadors to an old enemy of Israel, the Ammonites. This was a kind gesture from David because of the passing of their king. David's kindness to Mephibosheth in the previous chapter didn't end his kind works. Here, he shows kindness towards a pagan king because he sympathized with the loss of his father. So David sent his servants to comfort him. David wasn't content to feel kindness towards Hanun. He did something to bring the grieving man comfort. Now let's join Pastor Rob as he begins chapter 10 of 2 Samuel. The last time we got together, we looked at chapter 9 of 2 Samuel, and that was David's kindness to Mephibosheth. Remember, Mephibosheth was the son of Jonathan, excuse me, who was Saul's son. So Mephibosheth was Saul's grandson. And if you recall, David, before he before Jonathan and before Saul had passed away in their battle with the Philistines, you recall that David and Jonathan met on a couple different occasions. The final one was in the wilderness, um, right before the battle with the Philistines where Saul and Jonathan would lose their life. And remember that David and Jonathan made a covenant. And Jonathan wanted David to make sure that regardless of what happens to him, that David would treat his family and his kin and his tribe and the, and the, and the people of uh, Saul's family, that he would treat them well and that he would remember them and that he wouldn't put them to death. And David honored that vow and honored that commitment. And remember, some time goes by, and then finally David is now king over all of Israel, not only of Judah, but for the other northern ten tribes. And David finally, after he brings the Ark of the Covenant in, after he builds his palace, and after God spoke to him and gave him the great promise that we have, which was recorded for us in the the seventh chapter of this book, we call it the Davidic Covenant, that from David's own seed would come forth, in a sense, Jesus Christ. That through 
Solomon through David's seed and ultimately going on all the way into the millennial reign of Christ, that Jesus Christ would be the one that would come from his seed, from his loins in a sense. And so David experiences that great blessing. He brings the Ark of the Covenant, and then he's fighting battles, victory, 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 victory after victory. And there comes a point where David says, is there anyone of Saul's house that I could show kindness to? Is there anyone left of Saul's house that I could show kindness to? He didn't need to do that, but David, again, remembering perhaps the covenant that he and Jonathan had made together in that forest, perhaps days before Jonathan would ultimately pass away in battle. David's remembering that. And so he does. He he searches, he diligently searches and finds that Mephibosheth, Jonathan's son, who was lame on his feet and unable to walk, he has Mephibosheth brought before him. And Mephibosheth is probably thinking, this is my last day on the earth. And yet David says, no, Mephibosheth. In fact, not only is today not that, I want to bless you. I want to encourage you. I want to restore the land of your father to you. And in fact, I'm going to ask Ziba, a servant of Saul, I'm going to ask him and his 15 sons, I think it was 15 or 25 or 35, it doesn't matter after 10, does it? Anyway, so he says, I want his sons to serve you, and I want him to till your fields and to do those things that you are unable to do and bring in the food from all of those things and that you would be provided for. And also, Mephibosheth, I want you to sit at my table. I want you to sit at my table at the king's table for food. I want to put you in that place of prominence. And so David does so. And then finally we come to chapter 10. And chapter 10 is one of those chapters that's really a, a, a list of nations and kings that David had conquered. And in fact, of, of the places that he conquers in this chapter, we really don't read much more of any other other than what's listed here. So let's get right into it. Um, and, and you remember, as we, as we read this chapter, remember that David is expanding his kingdom. Expanding his kingdom. You'll recall back in Genesis 15, there was another covenant that God had made, not with David, but with Abraham. And it was called the Abrahamic Covenant. And remember what God said to Abraham. The Lord made a covenant with him, and he says, To your descendants I have given this land, Abraham, from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates. And this river of Egypt is actually a, uh, not the Nile River, many believe, but it's uh, Wadi el-Arish. It's a, it's a town right there in, the, in Goshen, right where the Israelites um, uh, were before they left Egypt. And there is a river there, and God had told them back in Genesis 15, he told to Abraham, from that river all the way to the river Euphrates to the east, is the land that I'm going to give to you. And let me suggest to you that as you read the Scripture, you'll find that David, not, not, not only David, but even Solomon at the height of the Davidic kingdom was really Solomon. And then from then on, it just started to degrade. And so the pinnacle of David's kingdom was in his son. And even under Solomon's reign, when peace was all around and, and, and Solomon had this great wealth of wisdom and understanding and money and gold and silver that even then the Israelites never attained to that land that God had given them. They got somewhat expanded and somewhat expanded, but then it just kind of stopped. And, 
And one thing we have to remember is that when God spoke that to Abraham, I believe he was thinking way beyond, way beyond Israel, way beyond the captivity, way beyond the church age even, already thinking in the millennial reign when certainly that will be the case. The children of Israel will have that land once again. And Jesus will be ruling and reigning for a thousand years, along with all of us in our glorified bodies in Jerusalem, on this earth, on this earth, for a thousand years. What do you think about that? It's kind of exciting to think about, isn't it? It's not exciting to think about in these bodies, but it's exciting to think about living a thousand years in with him on the throne. Guess what? No more of this nonsense of elections. No more people who can't speak in front of the microphone. Nobody who can do all, the, you know, all of this stuff. No more of that. There's going to be Almighty God on the throne. Amen? Are you excited about that? Because, folks, that's our destiny. That's what's happening. That's what's happening. And so they hadn't even attained all this. So David is going to be starting here, and Solomon's going to expand it a little bit more, but not by much. And ultimately that will be realized in the millennial reign. But let's look at verse 1 of chapter 10. Notice what it says. It says, it happened after this. And after this, after what? After this um, chapter 9 where David blessed Mephibosheth. It says, it happened after this that the king of the people of Ammon died and Hanun, his son, reigned in his place. Now remember, Ammon is the name of Lot's son. Remember in Genesis 19, when God brought Lot and his, his daughters and his wife out of Sodom and Gomorrah. And remember, his wife turned around and she became a pillar of salt because her heart was more towards Sodom than being delivered from Sodom. And so Lot and his two daughters, they escape. And they escape ultimately to a mountain where the girls, being fearful... They get their father drunk, and they each have an incestuous relationship with their father under the influence of wine. And they both give birth to sons. And the first one was Moab, and the second one was Ben-Ami, or the children of Ammon. And so when we speak here of this king of the people of Ammon died, we, we have to understand that the Ammonites, the people who came from Ammon, were an enemy to Israel. They, they came against Israel. They were always a thorn in their flesh. You can go back in Deuteronomy chapter 2, and you can read about how when God brought them into the promised land, God gave to the Ammonites land. And God told them to leave the Israelites to leave them alone, and so they did. They left them alone. But later on, because of idolatry, the Ammonites would rise up, and there would be uh, battles between the Israelites and the Ammonites, and they became an enemy of Israel just as they did the Moabites. And so this king of the people of Ammon died, and his son Hanun reigned in his place. And then David said, I will show kindness to Hanun, the son of Nahash, as his father showed kindness to me. And so David sent by the hand of his servants to comfort him concerning his father's death. And David's servants came into the land of the people of Ammon. Now one thing you have to understand is the scripture is completely silent about this, whatever Ammon, or whatever... um, Uh, this king who had died, what he did for David. 
Because notice what David says, I will show kindness to Hanun, the son of Nahash. So whatever, the, the Bible doesn't tell us what Nahash did, that David would make a comment like this, that his father showed kindness to him. We really don't know. It's not written in the scripture. And so we have to be silent as what that is. It may have been a, just some favor that he did. We don't really know, and it doesn't really matter. But it does record, the Bible does, why there would be animosity between the Ammonites. You remember in 1 Samuel chapter 11, while Saul was still king, that the Ammonites came against Jabesh-Gilead. Jabesh-Gilead was that town on the eastern side of the Jordan River. And the Ammonites came and and were um, fighting with them and wanting to remove their eyes, (laughs) the right eyes of all the men. And you recall, they, they cried out to Saul and his armies. And Saul, this, in my opinion, was probably the highlight of Saul's career because he comes to the aid of the men of Jabesh-Gilead from the tribe on the other side of the Jordan. And they actually win this great battle against the Ammonites. And they basically snuff them out. They, they win the battle uh, decisively. And so obviously there is still some animosity because that event happened you know, prior to David coming into his kingdom. So it couldn't have been that far away. So there is animosity between them. And notice in verse 3, the princes of the people of Ammon said to Hanun, their Lord, do you think that David really honors your father because he has sent comforters to you? Has David not rather sent his servants to you to search the city, to spy it out, and to overthrow it? And so these servants of Hanun are talking to him and trying to, you know, dissuade him from this idea, you know, David's overtures that he's making in in kindness. And it's too bad they didn't listen to him. Maybe they had every right to not listen to David because of the animosity. But David, it appears, was just trying to be kind. There's, there's nothing in the scripture that we know of that states that he was doing this to be sly and trying to deceive them. We know that that's not beyond David, but there's no reason that he would do that. But the men pers- you know, persuaded the king, this young king. It reminds me of a time in the Old Testament, actually, it would be even further down in history from where we're at now after Solomon was on the throne for 40 years. Remember, after Solomon died, whose son reigned in his stead? Rehoboam, right? Remember Rehoboam? And it says that Rehoboam rejected the advice which the elders had given him and consulted the young men, rather, who had grown up with him, who stood before him. And he said to them, What advice do you give? How should we answer this people who have spoken to me, saying, Lighten the yoke which your father put on us. And the young men who had grown up with him spoke to him, saying, Thus shall you speak to this people who have spoken to you, saying, Your father made our yoke heavy, but you, have made it, but you make it lighter on us. Thus you shall say to them, My little fingers shall be thicker than my father's waist. And now, whereas my father put a heavy yoke on you, I will add to your yoke. And my father, as my father chastised you with whips, but I will chastise you with scourges. (coughs) So now we have another king, another young king. Instead of listening to the ancients, listening to those who are older than him, instead he listens to the young men who grew up with him. And how history in Israel would have changed if that were the case, if if they would have just listened to those who had a lot more experience, who would understand 
who understood Solomon's heart and had grown up and had been through many things. There's a great wisdom in listening to those who are older in the Lord than us, and sometimes even just older in age. You know, are you willing to learn from somebody who's older than you that might not even know the Lord? It's important for us to be willing to do that, to listen to their wisdom. And there may be some good wisdom, but as, as with all things, we have to take that wisdom and we have to filter it through the Holy Spirit. We have to filter it through the Word of God, and then we decide whether this is good counsel or not, right? We have to do that with everything. You have to do that with the news that you read. And how things would have been different for these, this group of people had they just listened or not listened to his counsel and just received David's overture of kindness. So verse 4, Therefore Hanun took David's servants. Instead of thanking them for their kindness and generosity, what did they do? They shaved off half of their beards. They cut off their garments in the middle at their buttocks and sent them away. So here you've got a bunch of beardless guys walking around with nothing on from the waist down. And in, in that time, especially, to shave off a man's beard and to do what they did to them was a great shame, a great shame. And basically what it was is an act of war. And if you know anything about David and his temperament, we've seen earlier in David's history that when he went to Nabal, remember? <laughs> and he was blessing Nabal by providing protection for Nabal's flocks. And all he wanted was to have some food for him and his men because Nabal was so wealthy and Nabal wouldn't have anything to do with it. And in fact, scorned David and David was going to go after him because it was just culturally, it was just a very awful thing to do. And remember that it was Abigail who spared Nabal, at least for a couple days. The Lord got a hold of Nabal. But he... he withstood his hand from destroying Nabal. And so when David is shunned of his kindness, that that is something that he didn't take very lightly. And certainly in the Middle East, that was just a no-no. That was just very unusual. So verse 5, when they told David about what they had done to these men, these ambassadors, he sent to meet them because the men were greatly ashamed, naturally. And the king said, wait at Jericho until your beards have grown and then return. Because what they would do is uh, over there on the eastern side of the Jordan rivers where the Ammonites live. So they would cross over the Jordan just north of the Dead Sea and Jericho is just a few miles uh, to the east of the Dead Sea. So David says, wait there until your beards have grown. And when the people of Ammon, verse 6, saw that they had made themselves repulsive or to stink to David, the people of Ammon sent and they hired the Syrians of Beth Rehob and the Syrians of Zobah 20,000 foot soldiers, and from the king of Maacah, 1,000 men, and from Ishtab, 12,000 men. Now, you might want to write in your Bibles in the margin a uh, reference here, and that is 1 Chronicles chapter 19, verse 7. One of the things that you have to... Um, well, actually, I'll get to that. <laughs> it says that this place where the, all these men gathered, and, and these were the Aramean tribes... Uh, north of Israel, in modern-day Syria today. And so way, way north of 
like on the Sea of Galilee, way north of that, you had these different tribes, these different groups of people, Zoba and Beth Rehob and Maacah and Taob, and they were um, part of the Aramaeans. And, the, and so this battle was about ready to take place, and they all came together. It tells us in First Chronicles 19.7 that this place that they encamped was Medeba or Medeba, and this place is just east of the Dead Sea, the northern tip of the Dead Sea. If you go east, um, about 10 or 15 miles, you'll run into this place. And this is where they had met. And so verse 7, Now when David heard of it, he sent Joab and all the army of the mighty men. And then the people of Ammon came out and put themselves in battle array at the entrance of the gate of the city of Medeba. And the Syrians of Zobah, Beth Rehob, and Ishtab and Maacah, these are, again, these uh, uh, people groups from, uh, that are on the eastern side of the Jordan River, uh, all the way up north of, uh, higher than, uh, north of Galilee, excuse me. They came and they were by themselves in the field, it says. And then verse 9, it says, When Joab saw that the battle line was against him, before and behind, he chose some of Israel's best, and put them in battle array against the Syrians. And the rest of the people he put under the command of Abishai, his brother. Remember, Abishai was Joab's brother. Remember, Asahel was also Joab's brother. And who was he killed by? Yes, Abner. Abner killed him, uh, Saul's uh, commander of his army. And then Joab killed Abner in cold blood in a city of refuge in Hebron. And, uh, and so... All he's got left is his brother Abishai. So they set them in array against the people of Ammon. So now you got these two brothers dividing the army, going after different segments of this Aramean assault from the north. And so verse 11, then he said, If the Syrians are too strong for me, then you shall help me. But if the people of Ammon are too strong for you, then I will come and I will help you. But be of good courage. And let us be strong for our people and for the cities of our God. And may the Lord do what is good in his sight. And I love that about Joab. Even though he was a a bloody man, meaning that he had blood on his hands, he was a very different man than David was. Uh, Joab was a bloodthirsty guy. We're going to see that as we go along. He's just a vicious individual, um, very unlike his, his, uh, his uncle, David. And so Joab and the rest of the people who were with him, they drew near for the battle against the Syrians. And notice, the Syrians fled before him. And when the people of Ammon saw that the Syrians were fleeing, they also fled before Abishai. So they divided and they conquered. When Joab saw the battle was before him and behind him, the the, the army just split in half. Joab went with one, and Abishai went with the other group. And the Syrians fled. And then once the Syrians fled, the others fled. And so when the Syrians saw that they had been defeated by Israel, um, oh, I'm sorry, I I skipped a verse here, verse 14. It says, when the people of Ammon saw that the Syrians were fleeing, they also fled before Abishai and entered into the city. Again, this is probably Medeba, um, according to 1 Chronicles 19.7. And so Joab then returned from the people of Ammon and went to Jerusalem. In verse 15, it says, When the Syrians saw that they had been defeated by Israel, they gathered again. And, and this is true even in the Middle East today. It, it, 
being defeated in a battle is not something any of them take lightly. And there's there's an everlasting hatred. I'm sorry, that concludes our program for today. But please join us next time as Pastor Rob continues our study in the book of 2 Samuel. Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m. Monday through Friday at area code 585-586-3140. If you would like to have an audio CD of today's message mailed to you in its unedited form, simply mention today's date when contacting our church office You can also contact us via the web by logging on to www.calvaryrochester.com. There you will be able to access a number of useful things such as information concerning our beliefs, our ministries, contact information, our location, service times, and much more. You can also download or listen to the radio and sanctuary messages free of charge from the teachings link at the top of the page. To listen to Calvary Chapel of Rochester's sanctuary messages or Truth in Christ Radio on your mobile device, just subscribe to both through Google Podcast or Apple Podcast. You're also invited to join us on Sunday and Thursdays through live streaming of our services and Bible studies. Just click on the online services link on the website. We're so glad that you could join us today. And if there is any way that we can bless you with your walk with Jesus Christ, please don't hesitate to call our church office. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And for this cause, I have come into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. May God bless you in abundance today as you walk with him. And until next time, this has been Truth in Christ.